Well, join me, if you would, tonight in our continuing study of the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, we made it to chapter 10. Chapter 10 of the book of Zechariah, and I would like to read these 12 verses. Now, remember as we read these verses that the Lord declares so often in the Scriptures, He uses pictures, He uses picture words. We're not reading about things that are literal. We're reading about things that are spiritual. Uh, Much of the Bible is written in this form, whether it be in verse or whether it be pictorial language. And Sunday, when uh, Mike was mentioning again that passage of Scripture over in the book of Matthew, chapter 13 and verse 10, where the disciples said, Lord... Why do you teach in parables? And it struck me during that, that much of the Old Testament is in parables. The New Testament is in parables, and it really is when it comes to the understanding of it, because all of the scripture is spiritually discerned. We're not going to catch the drift if it's not revealed to us. So the scripture has meaning, It has a meaning up here where people oftentimes pick it up and say, well, you're under the law and you got to do this. And then the Lord takes his church down to this level and shows us the true meaning of it and says, I kept the law. It's just a shadow of what you are by nature. And if I don't get involved, you're all going to die in your sins. Well, let's read this chapter and we'll make a few more comments along that line. Verse Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. Now, from a literal standpoint, we depend upon rain. Particularly here when we get 14 inches a year. But he's not talking about just literal rain here. He's talking about spiritual blessings. And we find, ask ye the Lord for this. Ask the Lord for this, for these blessings. All right, in verse 2. For the idols have spoken vanity. Do idols speak? No, they don't speak. But they hear figurative language. They speak vanity. And the diviners have seen a lie and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats. For the Lord of hosts hath visited his flock, the house of Judah, and hath made them as a goodly horse in the battle. Now, we're going to read through here, and we find out that there's uh, quite a bit said about being in conflict, about being in battle. Nowhere in the scriptures do we ever find God encouraging his people, the church, to cause, to to make people or educate people into the kingdom, or by force or not by force. Now, many religions have used tremendous force to compel people to join them. Well, the Lord never said that to the church. He never said that. The battle is the Lord's. It is a spiritual conflict. When we go up against dead people, it's a spiritual conflict. We can't raise them from the dead. 
We can't get them to hear. We can't get them to see. We can't get them to do anything. But that doesn't mean that we stop declaring the gospel because it is the Lord that quickens them. It is the Lord that brings them to life. It is the Lord that causes them to love the gospel. So we go through that. But here it says in verse, uh, in verse 3 that he's going to make them a goodly horse in battle. Well, people who have preached the gospel from the very beginning have been a goodly horse in battle. They have the truth. They have, they have the manner in which God saves his people. What a savior. He will leave no stone unturned. This savior will leave no stone unturned in order to get the gospel to his people that he redeemed at the cross and give them the new birth. No stone will go unturned. He will find his people. I appreciated what we heard where it says that uh, John said with regard, God could raise these stones up. And, you know, really, that's what he does. <laughs> he raises stones up. He raises them up from the dead. All right, verse 4. Out of him came forth the corner. Out of him the nail. Out of him the battle bow. Out of him every oppressor together. And they shall be as mighty men, which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. So when God raises up his, his gospel uh, declares, gospel preachers, they're treading, uh, they're treading in mire. They're preaching the gospel. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them. And the riders of the horses shall be confounded. And I will strengthen the house of Judah. And I will save the house of Judah. Of Joseph, excuse me. What a promise as we find this great conflict going on. I want to jump down to verse 12 right now and we'll come back there. Verse 12. And I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. So victory is going to be enjoyed. Victory shall be had. The Lord will be victorious in this great battle. He will use the means that he is appointed. The foolishness of preaching. He will use preaching, the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And God gives the belief for them to believe. So let's go back up here to verse 7. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as though wine. They, yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. So what a promise. I've redeemed them. I've redeemed them, and I'll lose none of them. So the gospel will get to them. Either the gospel will be taken to them, or they'll be moved to hear the gospel. That's the way God does his business. And who's to say? I remember Brother Henry saying a number of times in his preaching, will God start a war, or have a war started, so his people can hear the gospel? And that's, yes, yes. He's done it in the past. He may be doing it now. We don't know. And I will sow them among the people. That's a wonderful thing. When God sows somebody who knows something among the people and spreads the precious seed, God sows. I will sow them among the people and they shall remember me in their far countries and they shall live with their children and turn again. And I'll bring them again also out of the land of Egypt. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, that's where the Lord found every one of us, 
is in the land of Egypt, a place of great destitution and hard work. That's where he finds us. Just as the Ethiopian eunuch was found, Philip was sent down to him to preach the gospel to him. Now, he was a rich man, but he was as poor as poor could be when it comes to spiritual things, dead in trespasses and sin. I'll gather them out of Assyria. What a place to gather people out of. Worse than Egypt. Well, that is the real horrible pit. And I'll bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, and a place shall not be found for them. And he shall pass through the sea with affliction, and shall smite the waves in the sea, and all the deeps of the river shall dry up, and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. And verse 12 again, And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name. What a a comprehension. Just to think, what a thought to think about here, that God's people will all agree. They will walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. There's one thing about the gospel. There is a unity there. We are unified in the gospel. We are unified in God. And there's not many multiple gospels or variations of the gospel. There is just the gospel of the good news of a redeemer that actually redeems his people from their sin, wherever they are. And also my 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 uh, people out there to make sure that they do hear the gospel. I, I just love the promises that we find in this 10th chapter of the book of Zechariah. Now, uh, the Lord declares there is a battle, yet... He has always been a spiritual battle. Always been. Now we can go over to the Old Testament and we can see that Joshua disconfitted a lot of Amorites and Hittites and Parasites. But he's never called on the church to do that. He's never called on the church to go into a physical battle to convert people, to cause them to assent to some facts. And when we're causing people to assent to facts, they're no more saved than they were a thousand years ago. So it isn't that. It isn't causing people to consent or assent to facts. We preach the gospel of a Savior that saves, a Redeemer that redeems. And when He does His business, they will consent to the facts. (laughs) That's the way it is. All right? And uh, it's not physical weapons, but spiritual weapons. We find the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. So if the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, we have no greater uh, uh, battle weapon than that. It's the Word of God. Salvation is not education. Now after we're saved, we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, but we cannot educate people into the kingdom of heaven. I'll never forget having someone very, very important in my life telling me at the age of 11 he was confirmed in his religion. Now when he married my mother, he just changed religions, just like I did when I went from Arminianism to Calvinism. He went from Lutheranism to Free Will Baptist, and it fit his plan. Well, that wasn't salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not just joining... uh, Uh, because I agree with the doctrines. We mentioned there that the Bible is written in the form that so often uh, it is 
un- misunderstood so often because of the way it's written. It's written in verse. It's written in figurative language. In fact, the whole Bible is hidden to the eyes that God intends for their eyes to be hidden from it. He's the only one. He that, uh, what does that say in, in Revelation chapters uh, 1, 2, and 3? Uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath an ear. Now we, by nature, we don't have an ear to hear it. We just have, a, we have ears to hear physical things. But spiritual things just cannot get to it. And it is the Lord that opens that up. And uh, uh, as I reminded us earlier, that passage of Scripture in the book of Matthew, would you just turn over there to the book of Matthew, chapter 13 again? As we look at this, it's, it's no wonder that people, me as an example, could hear the Word and walk away. Just easy to walk away. Because it didn't do anything. It didn't hit a string. It didn't... It didn't hit a chord. It hit nothing. Uh, I'm thankful that the Lord was gracious and let me hear it again and again. And then, by His grace, let me see Christ. Here in the book of Matthew, chapter 13 and verse 10, the disciples ask this question. I've I've had an enjoyable time bringing this subject up with a couple of people that I've been visited with. Why would the Lord do this? And that's the same thing that the disciples ask in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10 when he had just spoken a parable. Now, those folks, many of them were farmers, many of them were sheep herders, many of them were carpenters. He used symbolism, words like that. He even used baker words. Baking bread. He used carpenter terms. He used sheep herding terms. He used grape farmers, he used vineyards and trees and last Sunday we heard about figs that fig tree had to be planted someone planted it and the Lord comes along and uses those things and puts them into a spiritual context now if you have ears to hear you can say oh my goodness look at what he's doing my sheep hear my voice or I am the bread of life. I am the door. Well, here in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10, that subject came up. The disciples came and said unto him. Now, this is a wonderful question that they ask, and I'm so thankful it was recorded. I'm sure there were conversations that the disciples had with the Lord that we don't have those conversations recorded. But here we do have this, and we could ask the same question. And I use it sometimes, asking this question. Why did the Lord speak in parables? Well, the Lord answered that question. He says here in verse 11, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So why isn't the Bible so easily understood? Why isn't everybody that reads it get some understanding out of it instead of legalism? (laughs) Or how you should live and they live some other way. Well, the reason is, it is given unto you to know the truth of the gospel. It is given unto you to know the truth of the scriptures. But unto the general public, it is not given. Now, why does God do that? Because it's God. (laughs) That's his business. But he is fulfilling exactly what he said. He chose a people 
in Christ before the foundation of the world and wrote their names down in the Lamb's book of life and had a lamb prepared to redeem them before man ever fell. So he's God, but he's taken all this preparation. Why? Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries. Now when we look here at the 10th chapter of the book of Zechariah, we're going to read about some of the mysteries of the gospel. God in a mysterious way gets the gospel in front of every one of those he intends to hear it. God in a mysterious way. He calls it, uh, they're going to be good, good horses in battle. But he's not talking about getting a good horse and going into battle. He's talking about laboring in the battle, preaching the gospel, declaring the truth of it. And would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, another passage of scripture that we've looked at a lot, but it needs to be kept in our minds. Because I, after I was saved, I used to wonder, why can't I talk to my, my family? <laughs> why won't they hear me? Well, you know, the Lord shows us this is the reason. They don't have ears to hear. Now, we pray that the Lord will give them ears to hear. We pray that they may hear in time. But here in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2 and verse 14, we have these uh, words given to us that the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints at Corinth and shared with them this truth. 1 Corinthians, chapter 2 and verse 14. He says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now that's just clear, plain. But you know I've had natural men argue with that? And I probably would have too. It's never brought to my attention. But the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto them. You know, the gospel is really foolish that God would give his son to die for sinners when I can take care of it myself. My righteousness will do okay. It's foolishness. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So in regeneration, we're given a wonderful blessing, and that is to realize that this is a spiritual book declaring the great spiritual truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it might be an animal sacrifice. It is sharing with us some of the truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in the, going back to the book of Matthew chapter 16, another passage that we've often gone over, and that is the Apostle Peter asked that question by the Lord, now the question came up, who do men say that I am? Well, uh, someone spiritual. Did you notice that? One of the prophets? Elijah, or one of the prophets? Someone spiritual. Well, here in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17, we have Peter, who do you say that I am? Now he made a wonderful confession and I've had people say that if you can make that confession, that you know the Lord. Well, anybody can read that. And many people have read that and don't have any idea what it means. And you know, we may have some questions about all of these passages of Scripture, but we have the confidence that they are of Jesus Christ the Lord. Something about Him. Now, there have been some times, and I've talked to some of the men, I don't know what this is about, but I know what it's not about. 
It's not belittling the Lord. It's not belittling the gospel. It's not belittling salvation. It's not trying to take us down from a high lofty place. It's, I just don't understand it yet. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. And that's, that's uh, when the Lord says that, <laughs> that's a good blessing. Peter, you are really blessed. You are blessed spiritually. Now Peter's going to say some things and do some things. But you know what? He still was blessed to the Lord. And he could not apostatize. That's, a, that's, that's security. To know that I cannot. If I truly know Christ. If he's truly been revealed to me. It's when we find over in the book of John there. They, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they'd have stayed or continued with us. And you go down through there a little bit. And we know that a believer sins not. And that means does not apostatize. A believer cannot apostatize, cannot leave, cannot walk away. Now, if you can leave, all right. Goes on to tell us here in, in uh, uh, Matthew 16 and verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed us unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So, the book of Zechariah, to understand a little bit about it, it has to be by revelation. The book of Malachi, the book of Luke, the book of Matthew, the book of Revelation. We have to have some revelation of the Holy Spirit about those things, that Jesus Christ is the center. Today I talked to a young man, and I said most Bibles have right up here at the top, at the book of Revelation, the revelation of St. John the Divine. Now, number one, John would never call himself John the Divine. And number two, the first verse of the book of Revelation tells us what John wrote about, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we could say that about Zechariah. We're going to find figurative language in the book of Revelation. We just read some figurative language here in the book of, of Zechariah chapter 10. So what a blessing it is that he would reveal some truth about this to us. In verse 1 of that book of Zechariah, we find that the preacher, this gospel preacher, is sharing something of great value. Believers, ask ye of the Lord. Now he's going down in verse 2 and talk about idols and vanity and so forth and like that. So we have the the conflict. We have the, the opposites. Verse 1 and verse 2. Ask ye of the Lord reign. Don't go to the idols. Ask ye of the Lord for blessings. Ask ye of the Lord. Now he's the only one that can give spiritual blessings. And if he hasn't given it, it's because he doesn't want to give it. It's not because we're not smart enough. Because really, we're dumb as a post. When it comes to spiritual things, unless he reveals it to us and we see the blessings of Christ in it, we're just dumb as a post. We have nothing on anybody else. What do you have that you were not given? Nothing. I have nothing. Nothing spiritual. No spiritual truth that I was not given. 
It's not discovered, it's given. Now another preacher may be used to help us to understand it, to show us the truth of that passage of Scripture, but we, we don't have it on our own. We get it from the Lord. Ask ye of the Lord, reign in the time of the latter rain. Now, this is so important here because it goes back to a place uh, and a number of places in the Old Testament where people are speaking about the need for water. Now, one of my favorites is over in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11. Would you join me in Deuteronomy chapter 11? Moses is going over some of the differences between what you had down in Egypt and what you're going to have over in the land that I give you. The Lord gives them. In the 11th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is just as spiritual a book as the book of Ephesians. <laughs> Deuteronomy is just as spiritual a book as the book of John. If the Lord wants us to get something from it, He's going to let us know that Moses spoke of me. Moses spoke of the Lord. And Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Moses spoke of Christ. Moses spoke of the Lord. Now here in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 10. <clears throat> For the land whither thou goest to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. Keep that in mind. Where I'm taking you is nothing like the place I've taken you from. And that's truly a statement about uh, the Lord saving his people. Where, where we're taken to in salvation is nothing like where we've been. That's been a dry husk. That's been a lodi bar. That's been a, that's been a poison pond. That's everything. And, you know, we just believe anything. People come along and say, Jesus died for everyone. Sounds good to me. Jesus loves everybody. I just love that. He loves everybody. Well, people will tell us that down in the pit. But when people tell us that out of the pit, we say, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. That's not Bible. That's not Scripture. That's men's invention. That's idolatry. Well, here it says, For the land whither thou goest in to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt from which you came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot. Now, when we went over this a long time ago, we talked about this is a, a foot wheel. That I've seen pictures that probably was like that with clay pots on it, and they spun it and took water up and put it in ditches. It was a task. It was an all-day task, and it never ended. As long as the plants needed water, this is how they got it. And most of that water came out of the Nile River. They used their feet to spin that foot wheel to get the water out so they could get irrigation. Now he said, where I'm taking you is not like Egypt. You're not going to get your blessings like that. Now we, there's no blessings there to begin with. There's lots of sweat and strong legs. That's it. Well, it goes on to tell us, and waters with thy foot as a garden of herbs, but the land whither ye go to possess it. Now, physically, we know where he's taking his people. Spiritually, the church knows where he's taking his people. He's taking us out of bondage and putting us in liberty. 
Now, part of the liberty that we're going to enjoy is this. We don't have to work for our keep. <laughs> the work's been done. It goes on to say, It is the land of hills and valleys, and drinketh the water of the rain of heaven. Well, how do we get the rain of heaven to fall? We don't. That's God's business. God sends the blessings. He's the one who sends the clouds. You know, as, as I was driving out here this afternoon, I looked up and here's some of these, these clo- clouds that look like fingers hanging down. I said, well, that looks like rain. Well, I got out here, and I think 14 drops hit my windshield. <laughs> but you just could see it. Now, I had nothing to do with the creating of that cloud. I had nothing to do with the evaporation of the water off the ocean. I had nothing to do with that wind bringing that cloud here. I had nothing to do with the water falling out of the cloud. Now, I know what it is to put a sprinkler on a, on a lawn. Now, I have sand, and I hope eventually this year to get a lawn, but I know that I'm going to have to water it every day because that sand just goes, shoop, it just drops out, and I'll have a brown lawn. I would love to have a cloud hang over it every day for an hour, and then it goes away. So the Lord is using that picture here when he says, over in Egypt, this is how you did it. When you get into the promised land, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to send you rain. There in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 12, it says, A land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon him. And from beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year, I take care of my people every day of the year. I send them my blessings every day of the year. It is like rain every day of the year. So, it's going to be a lot different than Egypt. Down there, you work your fool heads off and not get anywhere. Here, all the blessings are provided. Now, does that make God's people lazy? Absolutely not. It makes us thankful. Now, over there in the book of Zechariah, it talks about that. Uh, Look at another passage of Scripture here in the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. Over there, it talked about rain. Here, it talks about rain. We're going to depend on rain. When God gets us to glory, God gets us out of the horrible pit. When he saves us by his grace, when he reveals Christ to us, when we have the new birth, he's going to send his blessings, every spiritual blessing. We grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that it isn't all ours, but we learn about how much is ours, how the blessings of the Lord. We get to learn to depend upon him. Here in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 5. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. You know, sometimes I, I have to rub the, the type. This passage of Scripture is one of those. Jeremiah chapter 5, beginning with verse 20. Declare, Jeremiah 5, verse 20. Declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it into Judah. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord? Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have uh, placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass? Isn't that interesting? He's talking about a physical thing down at the ocean. 
and yet he's talking about his great power with all things. I've set up my decree wherever, and it's not going to pass. And through, though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over. The Lord is truly saying to us, you can roar and complain all you want, but you're not going to get any blessings by your works. Blessings come spiritually. But this people hath a revolting... <laughs> what a two words in this passage of Scripture, verse 20. This people hath a revolting and rebellious heart. Now, it's easy for us to say, oh, that apply. No. Here's where we are, by nature, right here. A revolting and rebel rebellious heart, they are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and latter, in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain. Now he gave them physical rain. What a blessing it was for them to go out and harvest their barley. What it was, great to go out and harvest their wheat. Great to go out and harvest their, their uh, grapes, their olives. How great that was. But they did not understand that this is coming out as a blessing of the Lord. Neither say there in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God. This is just natural man speaking. God spoke to them. I have nothing, nothing. He's the one that provides the rain. But, turn with me back just a little bit into the psalm. Psalm 115. Psalm 115 verses 1 through 8. So we think about asking for rain. Only the church will ask for rain. And the church will not ask it for payment. We didn't earn it. We're not expecting payment. We're just asking for rain. The blessings of the Lord. We don't deserve it. That's where grace comes in. We just to understand a little bit about grace. God is absolutely did not give grace because of merit. But he says, ask a rain. Pray. Here in the psalm, Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verse 1. We read this. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Who said that? The church. That's what the church says. Our God's in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they, they uh, have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. What a comment about idolaters. Now that's just us by nature. 
we couldn't hear, couldn't see. So, you know, the, the, the famous saying, you're all the hands that God has, you're all the feet that God has. Well, thank God that's not the truth. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Now, if you go ahead to the book of Jeremiah one more time, Jeremiah 44. Jeremiah 44. As we think about, ask the Lord for rain. And then the next verse, idols are brought up. Jeremiah chapter 44. Verse 16. Jeremiah 44, verse 16. It says this. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our mouth, to burn incense unto the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then had we plenty of fiddles and were well and saw no evil. Did you read that? We offered to the Queen of Heaven, and that's why we didn't have any problems. But since we left off to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out our drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out our drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out drink offerings unto her without our men? Then Jeremiah said unto all the people, to the men and to the women and to all the people that were given him that answer, saying, The incense that ye burned in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, ye and your fathers and your kings and your princes and your people of the land, did not the Lord remember them and came it not unto his mind? so that the Lord could not longer bear because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which ye have committed. Therefore is this land a desolation and an astonishment and a curse without an inhabitant as it is as this day, because ye have burned incense and because ye have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord nor walked in his law nor in his statutes nor in his testimonies. Therefore this evil has happened unto you. Moreover, Jeremiah said unto all the people and to all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, that are in the land of Egypt. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, Ye and your wives shall both spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have vowed to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out our drink offering unto her, and ye shall surely accomplish your vows and surely perform your vow. What happened after the Lord brought punishment upon them? We just haven't offered enough incense to the queen of heaven. Therefore hear ye the word of the Lord, all Judah that dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, saith the Lord, that my name shall not no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah, in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God liveth. Behold, I will watch over them for evil and not for good. And all the men of Judah that are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there be an end of them. Yet a small number 
that escape the sword shall return out of the land of Egypt into the land of Judah, and all the remnant of Judah that are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there shall know whose word shall stand, mine or theirs. A small remnant shall return. What a promise. As we think about what uh, Zechariah said to those folks so long ago, we say it again. We say it today. Ask ye of the Lord, reign in time. For the idols, verse 2, have spoken vanity. The diviners have seen a lie. They have told false dreams. This is just the religious world going on right before us every Sunday. God's a liar. I'm the truth. God would never do any of that stuff. He would never choose. He would never die for just a few. He would never do that. And he goes on to say, they comfort in vain. What comfort do we have? The true comforter. That's the only comfort that I can give anybody is to declare the true comforter. And then it goes on to say, therefore, they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. And now, from here on in this chapter, we're going to say, oh, the Lord's going to get involved. And there will be a shepherds. They will be here and there. They'll be like horses. And there will be, as it says, I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name saith the Lord. What a wonderful chapter that we're going to experience here. We, we pray, pray for us.